0: You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. So, the cool thing about this message is uh, for those of you who are newer or were expecting Nathan, what'd you expect? Um, so, I'm Pastor Chad. I, I, I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint. I, I, my main other job is I'm the high school pastor, which I absolutely positively love working with the teens. Uh, and, and really can't impress on you guys enough if you feel called at all to do it. You're sitting there right now going, man, maybe I should do that. You're being called, so just come on and do It's a lot of fun. Uh, Connie's been doing it for a long time. I know at least there's other people in here that have been doing it for a long time. It's a lot of fun. You really get to pour into uh, a youth. And, guys, statistically, High school, again, I'm the high school pastor, so junior high, whatever. Um, but no, high school uh, is, is, the, is the point where we begin to have kids, youth deciding to have their relationship with Jesus be their relationship, not their parents, right? And it's a big, big deal, because most statistics say that when they leave high school and go off to college, they turn their back on the church, which is, really, which is a really big deal. So anyway, this morning, we're not talking about kids, we're talking about marriage, and I haven't done it yet, so marriage, Sweet marriage. <laughs> I told Blake and Nathan, because the three of us are doing the series together, that I was going to be the one to do that, And Nathan said, "No, I'll do it." I was first. Um, <laughs> so let's pray uh, so we can get our minds right. Oh, Father God, thank you so much for the institution of marriage. Thank you mostly for your son Jesus. That you sent to die for our sins. God, we 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 gloss over John 3.16 so many times. Most of this country knows what it is, they've seen it, but they really just don't understand the impact that, that a father gave his son to die. You you humbled yourself to come down to the level of your creation. God, we thank you for that. God, as always, make this message about you, empty me of me, so that ears, ears can hear what they need to hear and hearts are softened. Father, just, just pour out your spirit right now in this, in, this, in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as you can expect, we're going to talk about marriage. So when we go into marriage, we all have expectations, Right? Men have expectations, women have expectations, and I know this is going to be surprising, but a lot of times they're not the same. Um, So, but the question is, we're going to start unpacking, where do we get these expectations from? Now, it's Sunday, I'm a pastor, this is church, you can expect me to say we should get our expectations about marriage from the Bible. And you're right, (laughs) we should. That's exactly where we should, but me included, that's not always where we get our expectations for marriage. Consciously or subconsciously, we get our expectations from a whole bunch of different places, and sometimes it feels like there's this great divide between our intentions and ideas for marriage and God's design and intentions and ideas for marriage. It's like we're sitting on opposite sides of the Grand Canyon, and there's no bridge in between us, and it's just, it seems like humankind has just made marriage into this kind of, eh, it's really not that big of a deal thing. But there is a bridge between God's design and our design, and God's ideas and our ideas. It's the Bible. Right? That is the bridge. God gave us direction. And when we're looking for when we have when we develop our expectations for life and our expectations for marriage, what a better place to get those expectations from the God who created them both. Right? It just makes sense. Why wouldn't we go? He made it. Why wouldn't we turn to him to say, how do we do this? Too often, though, we get our expectations uh, about marriage from other places. So we're going to unpack a few of these. One of the places we always, we tend to get our expectations from is our parents. And I'm going to unpack this later on, but I'm going to tell you that's not always the best place to get your expectations for marriage. Spoiler alert, their marriage is their marriage. Your marriage is a different marriage. So we're going to unpack that in a minute. The world. Now this is, this is a huge category, right? This is, this is books, this is blogs, TV, internet, uh, Hollywood. All these different ideas come at us of what marriage is. This idea of soulmates and endless romance. And if it's not just this, this overwhelming romantic love and marriage get out. That's what Hollywood says. Whether they overtly say it or not, that's what they're saying that if you aren't getting what you need from your marriage, boop, get out. Another place we get our, our ideas and expectations from marriage is from uh, other friends and family. And with that, I'm talking about like social media, right? We see, we see these other marriages, we see our friends and our, our brothers and sisters uh, on Facebook and their marriages look just unbelievably perfect. Oh, I wish my marriage looked like theirs. Or sometimes you're a little bit arrogant and you say, mm, their marriage should look more like mine. Come on, that was funny. Um, but, but no, we should, we, we do that. We, we, and especially in the Western cultures, we absolutely positively love comparing ourselves to each other. That's, we, no. Somebody else's marriage is their marriage, our marriage is our marriage. Another place we get under the, 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 the umbrella of the world is psychologists and so called marriage experts, right? And we're gonna, I'm going to dig into one of those here in a little bit. Her name is Oprah Winfrey. We're going to unpack some of the things she has to say. Um, but when, and again, I'm not, I'm not going to demonize marriage experts and marriage counselors and psychologists because if I did, my wife would get really angry at me because she's in school to be a psychologist right now. So, uh, no, there is a place for them, right? There, there is a place for counselors and for psychologists and other people to come into our marriages and try to help us with these. But if they're not going to do it from a biblical foundation... Be careful. So what do they say? We know who's saying it. Now what do they say? One of the first things the world says about marriage and relationships in general, it's all over the dating sites on the interwebs and all over the internet, that says compatibility. Right? They, they want to give us the impression that if we aren't fully compatible with our would-be spouse or our current spouse, then if we're not able to live in perfect, beautiful harmony, harmony with our spouses or potential spouses that we are doomed to fail no <laughs> in fact it couldn't be anything more opposite it's okay if we have different desires and different dreams and god has a different call on our lives that's okay one of the things the world says is you deserve happiness and if you're not happy in your marriage and you're not getting that happiness out of your marriage, get out. No. Happiness is a response to what is happening. Happiness is a response to what is happening around you. In Philippians 4, Paul talks about something that can lead to happiness, and it's contentment. That's the biggest coffee cup verses there are out of Philippians 4. I have learned the meaning of being content. And contentment can lead to happiness. Because happiness is a choice. It's not an entitlement. We're not entitled to be happy in our marriage. just because we exist and we're married. That takes work. Right? The world says we have no control over our thoughts. Right? You can't control them. There's nothing you can do about it. But Tim Jennings says something, and I absolutely love what he says. You, what you believe has power over you, and you have power over what you believe. If you believe that the day-to-day, mundane, routine life, getting up, drinking coffee, going to work, coming home, eating dinner, going to bed, getting up, drinking, if you believe that that right there, and my marriage, we just have nothing in common anymore, we just don't see eye to eye, we spend no time together, you know what, our marriage is just over. If you believe that, and you constantly say that to yourself, and that God can't redeem my marriage... It's a self-fulfilling defeatist prophecy. You're going to defeat yourself from before you even get started. This is a new one. And I, I literally, a good buddy of mine, we were in the Navy together. Uh, his son is Darius Pittman. He's a middle linebacker for Purdue. Uh, Damian Pittman and I were chit-chatting. If you want to see it, we were arguing on Facebook. We were arguing. Because he posts this idea, and this is taking hold in some states, believe it or not. There's this new idea that the world says our marriages need to be flexible, and what they're doing is they're saying this idea is that marriage licenses will expire like every other license we get. Every three to five years, your license will expire, and you have an option to renew it or not. You don't have to go through the messy pain of divorce. Every three to five years, it just expires, and if you want to renew it, renew it. If not, oh well. Now, I'm not a lawyer, but there's a whole lot of complications beyond that, but This idea is preposterous. I mean, right, if if I'm married and I'm looking down the road two years and I know I've got an easy out, why work at it? Why try to get through the hard times? What's the point? In fact, and coming from the world, this makes complete sense, the logical conclusion is, why even get married to begin with? We can just live together. What's the harm in that? Every expectation that comes from the world about marriage, Nathan hit it last week, is based on self. What do I get? It's about me. Are they serving me? What, am, what is my marriage everything I think it should be? Is it my marriage everything I want it to be? It's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me, it's me. It's me. That is an easy default uh, uh, mindset for humanity, right? That's the easiest for us. So in my studies, preparing for this sermon. I watched a lot of YouTube videos. I read a bunch of different sermons and papers. And uh, (laughs) truthfully, if my wife didn't know what I was doing and she saw my Google search history or my YouTube search history, here's the things I searched. The 12 signs, it's time for a divorce. (laughs) When you know you need a marriage counselor, uh, how to do divorce. Right? So, those are the things I searched. And if my wife saw that and didn't know what I was doing, she'd probably be a little nervous and thinking that our marriage was going somewhere bad. But, um, but no, she knew what I was doing. Um, so, I stumbled on this YouTube video uh, of Tony Robbins. Anybody know who Tony Robbins is? He's the self help guru. Big, tall, strapping, good looking guy. Rare, gruff voice. I can't do it. I'm not going to try. Um, but he's, he's talking to a guy in, in the audience, and he's one of his big convention things. And the guy's not from there, he's traveling. And the guy stands up and he's talking to Tony and, and, and he's asking for marriage advice. And he says to the Tony, You know, listen, um, I'm here. I don't want to go home. I've talked to my wife on the phone. I'm not sure that she wants me to come home anymore. I left. We have an unresolved fight that we just can't, we just can't get past it. Um, we're considering divorce. We have nothing in common anymore. Uh, He gets a ton of flack at home because he goes to work all day, long hours, gets home, and all he cares about doing at that point is relaxing and playing in his band, and his wife just doesn't understand that when he's playing his guitar, he feels like a god. Now, I don't get that. I tried to play guitar for like two weeks and said, nope, I'm done. Um, But this is that guy, this is his passion. His passion is to be in his band, and his wife just doesn't get it. She just wants to squash his passions. She's upset because he's gone all the time, obviously, so Tony starts walking him down this, this path of questioning. And what he gets to is, without even knowing it, Tony gives him biblical advice. Here's an idea. Have you tried serving her instead of yourself? There's more to the video, and if you want to find it, go for it. What's really cool is they follow up with the couple six weeks later and then five years later. They're still married five years later. Happier than ever. And he plays in his band twice a week and she's perfectly good with it. She actually goes to his performances. Because he made a decision, consciously, to begin to serve his wife instead of himself. So that brings us to Ephesians 5. Last week, Nathan unpacked the, the, the probably the most famous verses on marriage, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Ephesians is broken into two sections. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 4 through 6. The two sections work in parallel. There's a, there's a therefore verse in between that it will read that bridges the two. 1 through 3 is Paul reminding the Ephesians about the gospel of Jesus. What it means uh, for their lives. What it meant for Jesus. Uh, that he's reminding them right? In, in chapters 1 through 3. And then in chapters 4 through 6, he's saying how does this apply to your life? How do you fit the gospel in your life? How does it work? Nathan kind of opened it a little bit last week and talked about uh, the relationship, the the hierarchy of relationship, right? God, marriage, family, work, etc. So before we dig into the the, the same verses, I want to back it up. So the guys in the booth are awesome. They figured this out by third service what I'm doing because I've changed it. (laughs) Um, So we're going to start in chapter four, verse 17. And I'm going to skip around a little bit, so just bear with me. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. It's almost as if God is saying through Paul, stop thinking like the world. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality. So as to indulge every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore... There it is. Every time you see in the Bible, especially in Paul's writings, the word therefore, that's a connecting point from the previous stuff to the subsequent stuff. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work and do something useful just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, I've read that before. Not once ever did I connect it with what comes next about marriage. Does that sound like an amazing way to deal with marriage? Put away anger. Put away malice and deceit. Put away all, treat each other like God wants. What? It's almost like Paul knew what he was doing. Verse 1, chapter 5, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to skip down to verse 15. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and with songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What amazing instructions for Marriage. Again, I've, I've read that. I, I have some of that memorized. I've read it. Not once until preparing for this message that I go, whoa, he goes right into, me- oh, wow. Okay. Marriage, as Nathan said, is a blueprint of our relationship with God. The woman represents the church. The man represents Jesus. However, men, I know this is going to be shocking. We are not sovereign. <laughs> okay. The, the, the model we're getting for Jesus from Jesus and the example is not to be sovereign over our wives. It's not to be domineering over our wives. Instead, it's to see the servant leadership of Jesus Christ in washing his disciples' feet, in always putting himself second, in laying down his life for the church. Women, Just as the church was built to glorify God, so you were built to glorify your husbands. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Some of the people who know me were the looks were like, whoa, okay, calm down. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Women, if your husband is serving the Lord, then your husband is putting God first. And your husband is spiritually leading your family. Isn't that somebody worthy of following Jesus was a leader worthy of following, not because he was God and he said you had to do it, but because he demonstrated love, and he was a servant. He was somebody you want to follow. John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. There comes a point when you you just want to follow Jesus. Men, that's the example we're supposed to be. Women, those are the men you're supposed to follow. Right? It shouldn't be a burden. It should be this challenge. It should be somebody you want to follow. So how do we do it? How, I mean, how do we model Jesus? Uh, how how, do, how can women respect their husbands and allow them to lead? I'm going to read again through Ephesians five, one through twenty, but I'm only, I'm only going to read a couple verses and put them together in a different way. Follow God's example. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave up, gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering. And sacrifice to God. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to first follow God in our lives. I've done premarital counseling and marriage counseling with a few couples, and um, I've, I've explained it like this, and this is, I didn't invent this, I read it somewhere, I don't remember where. But if you think of marriage as this love triangle, right? You have Jesus at the apex of the triangle, and the husband and wife on either, in either corner. And as the husband and wife independently and individually grow in sanctification in their walk towards Jesus, what happens to the couple? They grow closer together. Guys, that's, that is step one Be in your walk with Jesus. Get into his word. Understand his word. Love his word. Because that is how we grow. I mean, I've read a lot of John Grisham books, and I like them. I can kind of begin to understand where his thoughts go as he puts a new book out. Oh, I know what this one's going to be about. It's probably going to talk about this, and it's probably going to have that in it. I can do the same thing with Clive Cussler and Dirk Pitt. Love them. And when Matthew McConaughey finally, was oh man, that was awesome. Anyway, um, the same thing happens with God's word. If we're in it, if we study it, if we love it, we begin to see the world how God sees the world. And, and thinking like Jesus, having Jesus' nature will become second nature. It won't be conscious thought. It'll just be who we become. That is being spirit-filled. Tim Keller, in one of his marriage sermons, says this. When you're filled with the Spirit, there's a Spirit-created unselfishness, a willingness to submit to and serve other people, to not be defensive, and to have a servant heart. That is the basis for any kind of healthy marriage. Notice he doesn't say good marriage. He says healthy marriage. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. But we'll get there. The cool thing is to have a servant's heart at heart, Keller in all of his wisdom breaks it down and gives us three examples and three practical ways within marriage that we can demonstrate a servant's heart. Number one, have the ability to hear criticism without being crushed. As husbands and wives, we have a unique, especially those of you who have been married in this room longer than I've been alive, um, we have a unique uh, uh, avenue into each other's lives, right? And we absolutely can and should disciple one another, absolutely. Men, if my wife didn't disciple me early in our marriage, I wouldn't be where I am right now, right? That's okay. Second, it's like the first, it's just the other side of the coin, the ability to give criticism without crushing. And again, this, this, is, this one hit me hard um, because early on in my marriage, I couldn't do that. Everything I said was hurtful and, and, and condemning, and it was just, oh, I was not a nice guy, right? Um, if you can't give criticism without crushing, take a step back, get into the word, maybe fast and definitely pray and ask God to give you a way to, to deliver this, to, to, be, to deliver some criticism. It's okay. We should be holding as husbands and wives holding each other accountable. We absolutely should be doing that. Just do it out of love. And third, he says the ability to forgive people without residual anger. That means if your husband or wife wrongs you in the past and you say you've forgiven them, leave it in the past. Don't constantly bring it back up. Don't constantly bring it back up. Don't constantly bring it back up. If it's forgiven, it's forgiven. Let it go. That's what's meant by a servant's heart—the ability to take your mind off yourself, when you're giving criticism, when you're receiving criticism, and when you're forgiving. Because if there is one message that is consistent through this entire revelation, it's not about us. Right? Put others first. Love your neighbor like you love yourself, more than yourself. So, what it, what it means to be spirit-filled? And these are Keller's words. Means the Spirit of God is illuminating your heart and making very real to you, very real to you the work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus' work for you becomes very real, our hearts begin to know what He is wanting. It's easy to see what He wants from marriages. So, what do we expect from marriage? Single people. There's a few of you out there. <laughs> Matt Chandler's wife, Laura Chandler, and Matt is the senior pastor of the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, massive church, awesome dude. Uh, His wife was asked in a YouTube video, What do you say to the single Christian who longs to be married? Run away. No, I'm kidding. Um, She said, It's a good thing for you to long for, but it shouldn't be something you long for more than intimacy with Jesus Christ. It's a wise woman. Single people, wanting to be married is perfectly fine. It's a great thing. But if you want to be married more than you want to be in relationship with Jesus, you need to realign your priorities. Because, as Lauren says, you should not expect marriage to be the fulfillment of all your desires. It is not the satisfaction of all your desires. And those of us who are married are nodding our heads. Right? Saying, you're right. Right? The best marriages, now I, I did some research. I didn't want to over overwhelm people with statistics, but I, I, I did do some statistical research. There is a divorce rate among a specific kind of marriage that's about 6%. Now that con- counter compares to the rest of the world, which is about 48%. 6% divorce rate among arranged marriages. In the West, those things are almost unheard of. But in the East, in, in India, there are about 60% of marriages are arranged. In Japan, I think it was like 35 or 40%. So in the Eastern cultures, arranged marriages are a big deal, and their divorce rates are almost nothing. Why? Well, in the, in the West, we're not really good with arranging marriages. Um, but I would say we don't let people arrange our marriages, we let God arrange our marriages. You see, the first example we have in the Bible of marriage is an arranged marriage. Adam woke up and whoop, there she was. Adam and Eve was arranged by God. They didn't hook up on Tinder. They didn't get to know each other. They didn't live together first. They didn't, they didn't see, make sure they were fully compatible before they went into it. No, Adam woke up and there she was. God said, good luck. The point I'm making is to have God arrange our marriages. My wife and I met December 31st of 1999. We were married March 7th. Now, her maturity in the faith was way higher than mine is at this point in our marriage. Um, But I knew deep down inside that God was putting us together. You know how I knew? I don't know. I just knew. No, and so did she. We we were in agreement that God was doing something because initially, immediately, rather, our marriage went through some major trials. Again, I was not a nice guy. But she had the faith to know that God had arranged our marriage. If you allow God to arrange your marriage from the very beginning, then He has His hand in your marriage forever. And that that is the big piece of successful having a healthy marriage is having God in the center of your marriage and saying, God, I don't know what to do. I can't do this. You got to be part of this. Right now, we don't even like each other, let alone love. God, keep us together. God, be in the part of this. But what you shouldn't pray is God change them. Make them how I want them. Right? Loving someone doesn't mean changing them and molding them into what you want them to be. It means walking alongside them as they determine who God wants them to be. It means coming alongside your spouse out of love and saying, oh, this is what God is calling you to do. I agree. Let me help you with that. My wife in her mid-40s came back and said, I want to go to college. I'm going to be a psychologist. I can't do it. I said, oh, yes, you can. She goes, yeah, but you're the one that's been in college forever. Okay, I'm done. God has called her to do that. Just like she supported me all the times that I went to college, it's my turn to support her and to encourage her and to keep her motivated into what God is calling her to do. I said earlier that we shouldn't necessarily base our marriage on our parents. I gotta walk softly, my mom's in here. Um, no, just kidding. No, my parents have been married for 37? 30, uh, good guess. 37 years. Um, first marriage, right? They've been married a long time. Uh, uh, my dad is my stepdad, so long story, but anyway. But they have been through what? Some hell, right? Any marriage that's been lasting that long has been through some tough times. There's been some ups and some downs. My wife's parents were married for about the same amount of time when, he, when her, my father-in-law passed away about 14 years ago, right? Both marriages had their issues, both marriages had their trials, and both marriages have survived. But their marriages are their marriages, and what works in their marriage may not work in our marriage. Let me give you an example of this. When we get married, we're to leave our father and mother and we create a new family. Most of us in here our grandparents like our grandfathers changing a diaper? <laughs> no. Not going to happen ever. Right? And some of the people in here my age or younger go, "What? Why not?" Right? Some of us are grandparents or great-grandparents or even parents. For the mom to work outside the home and be their breadwinner? No, uh uh-uh. Can't do that. See what I'm saying? So it works for their marriages. Doesn't necessarily work for our marriages. I changed diapers. I have 10 kids. I've changed a lot of diapers. One of the most amazing things I can do with my children and I've done it with almost every single one of them that I've had as a baby, is sitting next to their crib or their bed with my hand on their back as they fall asleep because they don't want to be alone while they're trying to go to sleep. Does it hurt my shoulder? Yes, it does. But for me, this is the greatest example I have to show them the love of Jesus. To say, yeah, I'll sit next to you, I'll comfort you, I'll be there for you, I'll be your daddy, right? Men, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus wasn't this stoic, this this manly man, this Roman. No, that's not who Jesus was. And he was God. is God. Jesus was tender and loving and kind. As far as women working out of the home and being the breadwinner, frankly, I can't wait till my wife is the breadwinner because uh, psychologists make more than pastors do. I'm just saying. (laughs) So when there's a BMW out there, I'm just, you know, she bought it for me. Something we can expect out of marriage is we can expect sex. Right? Sex is this amazing thing that God gave us for within the institution of marriage that takes our relationships to a level of intimacy that is unparalleled in this world. It should be part of marriage, absolutely. Paul is talking about um, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and from songs from the Spirit. Perhaps, just maybe, he's talking about the Song of Songs. If you've read the book, if you haven't, you people need to read your Bibles. Right? The Song of Songs is, a, is this amazing, written by Solomon, this amazing romantic and a little PG-13 Uh, A song to someone he loves. We should expect security in our marriages. This is why the idea of this this temporary marriage license is just weird. So I go to Oprah's website, and she outlines the 12 signs it's time to get a divorce. Now, most of them, I'm not going to go through all of them, I'm only going to unpack three of them are signs that there's probably something wrong with your marriage or that you might need some help in your marriage, but they surely are not signs it's time to cut, bait, and run. One of them, you never argue. What? Now listen, younger marriages, yes, you're going to argue more and things. But as you get older, I'm only at 20 years and we're in our 40s and, and we don't argue a whole lot. I have learned it's absolutely futile to argue about getting a motorcycle. I'm not getting one. But no, I mean, I joke, but, some, but on some level, that's, that's kind of the idea of what happens. You've, you know each other well enough that it's, well, what, I, I could argue about this, but what's the point? And my wife says the same thing to me. We could argue about this till we're blue in the face, but what's the point? Right? And sometimes you've just reached this point of unity, not uniformity, but unity that you don't need to argue anymore. You kind of just get each other, right? Now, does that mean you're not going to ever argue again? Of course not. But she's saying if you don't argue, it's time for a divorce, or maybe your marriage is okay. I don't know. Number two, she says, if you hide your real self, time to get out. Now, that's a warning sign for sure that if you're hiding your real self from the person who sees you first thing in the morning, um, it's okay to be vulnerable with our spouses. In fact, we should be in a position where we can be vulnerable with and to our spouses. Right? But if you have a hard time sharing your real self, it doesn't mean it's time to throw in the towel. It means it's time to ask for help. And perhaps go to your pastors or go to a psychologist or a marriage therapist and say, hey, we need some help. I, I, I don't trust my spouse enough to be vulnerable to them or be real to them. There's some past hurts I gotta get over. Right, that, that's okay, that's marriage. Now, Oprah does say one thing, she wraps up her whole list with this one, and, and I'll agree with her on this one, this is not time to get a divorce, but it is a big red, red flag. She says that if your kids work Friends or parents come before your marriage now she says get out I say that's a red flag if your kids your work your friends or your parents come first that's a problem God should come first and then your marriage because I want to tell you something even the world gets this concept because without the marriage there isn't a family even the world calls a divorced broken family a broken family now, I'm not saying that I condemn anybody in here who's divorced. That's not what I'm getting at. But if you're putting these things ahead of your marriage, that is a warning sign. That is a red flag. If the bond in your marriage is weak, sometimes for some people it's easier, especially if you have older children, to turn to your children and try to get that, that, that bond with your child because it's easier than repairing or working on the weak bond between you and your spouse. Well, here, here's a secret. We're their parents, not their partners. Our partners are our partners. We're their parents, not their partners. And frankly, it's not fair to put that burden on them, their kids. Right? For the love of God, they can't put good thoughts together until like 25, right? You want to, no. It's not fair to them. That's not their job, that's not their role, right? If you have a parent overly involved in your marriage, this is a huge warning sign. We are to leave our fathers and mothers and cleave to one another. If you have a parent who knows each and every little detail about every day of your life in your marriage, that's a problem. That means you haven't left. Now, guys, I'm not saying cut ties with your parents, that's silly. But what I'm saying is, if if you're turning to your parent for every single positive little thing in your marriage, you haven't left one of the biggest pieces of success with my marriage is that my wife and i do not tell our parents bad things about each other in the the big part of our marriage when i was a less than nice guy my wife did not pick up the phone and call her mom or her dad and complain about me and vice versa and here's why i'm a dad if somebody calls me and says that they're hurting my daughter i don't care who it is i'm not happy I'm going to see that person in a very different light. When my wife was having issues with me and vice versa, she would pick up the phone and call our pastor's wife. There's a good sounding board. Other women in the church who are senior to you in faith and in age and in marriage, that's a good person to call. I'm gonna invite the the band back out real quick as I wrap up. Because I I want everybody who's hearing me right now to to see this as encouragement. If if you're divorced, if your marriage is on the rocks, and you're about to be divorced, or you're facing divorce, or you're not married yet, or, or you're married and this just doesn't sound like your marriage, I don't mean this condemning in any way, shape, or form. What I want this to be is words of encouragement. That if you ask Jesus Christ into your marriage to redeem it, He will. If you ask Jesus wholeheartedly, God, I, I, I don't know what's going on in my marriage. I've, I've done some stupid things. He or she has done some stupid things. We need you to be part of this marriage. We, we don't want a divorce. We don't want to go down this path. We need you to fix this marriage. And if both of you come together and do that, I promise you, it may not happen overnight but Jesus will show up and he will redeem your marriage. As I close, I want to read a prayer and I want you to pray it with me. Tim Keller in his marriage series uh, that I listened to for a good part of this ended each message with this, with this prayer. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Our Father, we thank you that you have shown us today, again, more and more, the mysteries of this great institution called marriage. All of us have been touched by it. Those of us who have not been married are surrounded by marriage. We're the product of marriages. We have all sorts of fears and hopes about marriage. We pray that you will take this scripture, we are studying now, these words we're looking at right now, and you will mold us with them. So the people who are considering marriage will walk into it wisely without distorted misgivings and understandings about it. So the people who are now sitting in marriages can turn around and not be afraid of the faults that are being revealed by it. Not to be afraid of the conflicts that are coming. Begin to reorder the relationship along the principles you've laid down here. Father, transform us, change us, and make us more like your son. Teach us more of your salvation as we continue to study these words with the, about this greatest of all institutions, marriage. We thank you most of all that through Jesus Christ, we've been married into you, and we are part of your family. Now, Lord, make us more and more like your son, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. At LifePoint Church, we celebrate communion every Sunday. As a reminder, it's it's one of the two ordinances given to us in scripture, baptism and communion to remind us of of what Jesus did for us and who Jesus is and what his sacrifice really, really meant. The only requirement we have at LifePoint Church, if you want to partake in communion with us, is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you have called on him as your Lord and Savior. And if you're in here right now and you have not called on Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you want to, I would encourage you to step up and come talk to one of our prayer partners. Find me after church or one of our elders or other pastors. We are overjoyed to pray with you and introduce you to Jesus. And right now, if you're in here and your marriage is struggling, I want to encourage you before you receive communion to get on your knees and ask Jesus to join you in marriage. To come alongside you and your spouse in marriage and carry your marriage. Give him the burden. He can handle it, I promise. So this time, would you, would you rise? There's three stations in the front, there's three stations in the back if you want to gather the elements and we'll come back together in prayer. the elements and return to your seat. In the gospel, we're reminded to not take communion lightly. To come with a repentant heart, to not be, to be burdened by our sins and our, and our anger and, our, and, our, and the, the, the grievances we hold against one another. The gospel says to get rid of all of that before you come into communion with God. So right now, as you return to your seats, pray with me Father thank you for your son Jesus God I repent right now of any transgression against you I've committed whatever it is known, unknown God I am sorry for falling short but God bathe me in your light because I know that if I repent and ask for forgiveness, I am forgiven. Your word is true. Thank you, God. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he sat with his disciples, broke bread, and said, every time you gather, do this in remembrance of me and remembering my body that was broken for you. Would you join me? In a similar way, Jesus poured the cup, the wine in the cup, gave thanks to God, and said to his disciples, When you gather, do this in remembrance of me and remember my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you drink the juice of me? Father, once again, we come to you with thanksgiving and joy glorify you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus.